Family. It looks a little different for everyone. For some, it's mom and dad. For others, roommates who feel like family. And for others, it's your significant other, their golfing buddies, your children, a high school soccer team starting lineup, and oh look, they're all taking you up on the offer to stay for dinner, really testing the limits of that phrase, the more the merrier. But no matter where you call home, GEICO makes it easy to bundle and save on home and car insurance. Easier than making three frozen pizzas and assorted frozen veggies into a cohesive meal. White Castle presents CEO Lisa Ingram. My great-grandfather opened White Castle in 1921, which is why I'm excited to announce the new 1921 slider. Inspired by how we made them 100 years ago. With 100% beef patty topped with cheddar cheese, caramelized onions, tomato, lettuce, and pickles. Come see why originality never goes out of style. I'm Lisa, but you can call me the Slider Queen. White Castle. Long live sliders. Pasteurized processed cheese at participating castles. Welcome to the Razzball Prospect Podcast. This is your host, Ralph Lifshitz. As always, I am here by myself. No, I'm here with Lance <laughs> Brozdowski. He's actually moved out of the Northeast, out of New England, live and direct from the Shah City, the Windy City. What's going on, Lance? How hey. are you today, man? You've been traveling across the heartland. I have, yeah. I went, uh, I, man, a ton of travel. Yeah, no, I'm in Chicago finally. I've made it in one piece, which is great. I'm, I know my parents are very happy about that. Um, but yeah, I took a weird detour down through uh, North Carolina, up through Kentucky, through Indiana, as opposed to just kind of going straight across from Boston. And I hit some minor leagues, so I, nice. I got a lot of games in, and I got a lot of really good looks at some guys. And I, it's been it's been a wild week. I've been out of the loop with like everything though, because it's been a lot of driving and not much like internet access, as opposed to me just burning through all my data. So I like I'm like trying to catch up with everything that happened. Like I literally the last week has only existed in the in the space of the games that I've seen. For all I know, it's only been like the Winston-Salem Dash and the Lexington Legends. Like, that's the only thing that's happened. And it's clearly not. So, to catch up with all the MLB stuff, catch up with all the MILB stuff. But uh, but it's been a good time, man. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing pretty good. Not too bad. I can't uh, can't complain, you know? Yeah. Just living the life. I have not traveled across the country. I have not seen any games uh, last <laughs> week or so. But it's, it's Father's Day weekend. It is. And my plan... Is to try to get to. Uh, I think. I think I'm thinking. I'm going to head to uh, Norwich, Connecticut. I'm going to check out some short season ball. You know, checking on uh, Sam McMillan, and uh, there's a bunch of Red Sox prospects that got assigned to uh, low A, uh, low A, but short season lull. So mm-hmm. there's like Kerry Washington is kind of interesting. Uh, Cole Brannon. 
Um, and there's, uh, there's one other outfielder that I was interested in, in checking out and I'm just totally blanking on who it is right now, but I'll get back to it once I, once I pull the name and I'm sure there's some other guys that will, you know, sort of jump from out of obscurity every mm-hmm. so often they, they have these guys that, uh, they'll get their sort of second taste of professional baseball after debuting in like the Gulf coast league and they're like younger, you know, uh, international prospects that maybe like weren't super hype bonus guys. And sometimes you get a couple of breakouts. Say the first time I ever saw Mookie Betts was there. And uh, I did no idea that Mookie Betts was going to turn into uh, what he was now. I just thought he had an 80 grade name and was like <laughs> a rel- relatively, you know, talented, like, you know, utility guy is what I kind of thought he would be. But obviously that's uh, very far from the truth. And uh, he's grown by leaps and bounds. The first time I ever saw Andrew Benintendi was there. And uh, that's when I fell in love and knew that this dude was going to be an absolute beast. And so far, he's fulfilling that prophecy. But I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of going off on a tangent here about no, okay. the history of the Lowell Spinners. But, Lance, uh, what do you say, man? Do you want to go through some, like, general news and notes? Or do you want to sort of talk about the trip, who you saw? I haven't heard any of this firsthand yet. Lance just, like, landed in Chicago. I mean, you were at a game last night. I you know, was, you, yeah. you saw <laughs> You saw you saw Hunter Green last night, oh, so yeah. we're, we're, we want to hear about that. But this is the first time I'm even hearing any of this firsthand, so this is uh, us sort of catching up on air. It is. Yeah. This might be like 45 minutes of like me just telling you, uh, Lance, talk about this player, talk about that <laughs> player, talk about this player. So th- is there is there any stuff that sort of jumped out to you in terms of news notes? Anybody that's been promoted, uh, demoted, <clears throat> Miguel Sano, um, yeah. any. <laughs> Anything else that's sort of jumping out to you before we, we jump into the, the Jack Kerouac of uh, fantasy prospecting? <laughs> By the way, Lance didn't know who Jack Kerouac did was oh my God. until uh, until I mentioned it in reference. And then it was like, huh? like I had to look that up. <laughs> there's, there's times when you like I'll sometimes see something and I'm like, should I just play it off as pretending I know? And I'm like, you know, I got to stop doing that. Like, if I don't know something, I'm going to tell someone I don't know. And I was just like, Ralph, I, I had to look that up, Ralph. Like, I had no idea who it was. But On the Road That's is apparently, funny. I believe, a book he wrote. And, uh, yeah, I guess I'm the Jack Kerouac of, of, of minor league baseball for, for the week. So be it. But uh, but I don't yeah, have too much on the news and notes side. But I, I don't know. Kerouac might be the t- new Twitter handle or something. I mean. Well, you had Adbert Al, uh, uh, Alzole is out for the season with a lap problem. Seems like yeah. everybody, all these pitchers, it's like the new Tommy John is these lat well, injuries. Yeah, with the Reyes and stuff. No, I, I saw that Shut jump out bones on, off. on an MILB. I, saw, I also forgot that Estevan Floriel was out for three months. Like, I was looking through his stats for some reason because I, I was seeing Jesus Sanchez continues to rake. I was looking at Floriel, and I was like, oh, he's been out. Like, I don't I don't remember. Like, I feel like that was something we didn't bring up. I feel like most of my, my knowledge obviously comes from this podcast and the research we do and the stuff you tell me and the stuff that kind of, we kind of look up. So I guess that kind of escaped – did that escape our radar to some extent? I, I just totally forgot. That. I, you I know, I, I think I think it's one of those things is he, he, he got hurt, and uh, initially the update wasn't as uh, dramatic as it is now. But oh, I see. then I think, it, I think it came out and it got buried with – like everybody else in like the major leagues getting yeah, hurt, that's a good and, point. you know? Yeah. And it's one of those things that like, it's kind of out of sight, out of mind, you know, yep. that like if, if I'm not watching you in a game or, you know, I don't see you in a box score and like, you know, I kind of don't think about it. I knew he was in the DL and I knew he was out for a few months, but yeah, I don't know. It's funny that we didn't mention that considering like he's a player that we both really like coming into the season mm-hmm. and uh, he's definitely slid Yeah, and it wasn't even necessarily the injury for me as much as I just thought, you know, the performance and there were some struggles and there were obviously some adjustments that needed to be made. 
uh, because that strikeout rate was, you know, starting to become a serious issue where, and it was a question. It's funny. I don't know if I, maybe I should have mentioned this. I did my first uh, Reddit AMA today. I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. I jumped in and looked at some of the questions. You get a lot of questions. A lot of people. I actually had questions. I get home and I, I don't know if people like ask questions later or if I just missed some of the comments. I like it's easy to miss them because I was just going in like my unreads and I was just replying to all my unread comments. Um, but there was a there was a ton of comments there that I still need to reply to. And I didn't even realize it. <laughs> I feel yeah, like there was a lot in there. Yeah. Such a jerk. So I'm going to have to jump back in and, and, and hit the rest of those comments tonight. But which is incredibly late. It's midnight. So it's probably going to be like two o'clock in the morning. But <laughs> who is this guy? Um, but I, I will get to all the questions, I promise. But, yeah, it was unbelievable. But what it, where I was getting with this um, was somebody had asked me. Uh, you know, how, how much I would slide back, like, you know, uh, uh, Floreal. Mm-hmm. And I said, I would probably put him in like the 35 to like 40 range at this point. So he's definitely somebody yeah. that slid yeah. and somebody else had brought up the point in the AMA that like, you know, should we start being a little bit more skeptical, like with Sano and like Moncada and Buxton and some of these guys that had like notoriously high strikeout rates. Um, but that's not necessarily the case with Buxton in the minors so much, but, um, should we be a little bit more skeptical of that, like that profile, like even though the tools are really, really loud that if the strikeout rate is like 30%, like we, we really maybe should be, you know, cautious of that. And I don't know, like I, I, Fernando Tatis is kind of like that, but like, I'm not shying away from Fernando no. Tatis at all, you know? And I, even at this point, I'm like, I'm not writing off Moncada and, uh, I want to. I want to write off Buxton. I still want to write don't. off. I don't. But, well, the problem, but I just, so, it's not going to happen. I, I. I can't do it. It's. It's silly to do it, right? But like the emotional response of what you've seen is like Buxton. Now, I've. I've never been the biggest Buxton guy, but I feel like I do every so often. Kind of get sucked in, and I'm like, oh, I wish I owned Buxton, but mm-hmm. I just never. No, I, I see that. I think that the the difference between Floriel and and the three guys you're mentioning there is the caliber of prospect which I think dictates a little bit of the expectation side of things. Like sure. if we, like, I think we both had Florida on that like 40 to 30 window. I think that we probably still both have him in there. Maybe we drop him back to 40 to 50 yeah. at that point, you know, you're splitting hairs or whatever, but, but Snow Buxton and Moncada all had something in common, which was that they were basically consensus top 10 prospects. So even though they had the massive strikeout race, they also had tangible tools that we saw through higher levels of the minor leagues. We bought into Moncada has speed and power, Buxton purely speed. I think the expectation around Buxton, the fact that he was going to develop power, there's a lot of people, I believe, um, if I'm remembering correctly, who predicted like 30, 50 or whatever. And it's like, I, from what I was looking at, from the tape I saw and from one of the adjustments I saw him make last year, the, the 30 part of that just seemed insane to me on the power side of things. We were expecting so much power out of Buxton. Like with his approach and how he was thinking about the end of last year, there's sure there was some power in there and he, could, he still has some pull side power, but he's more like a gap-to-gap hitter. Like if you're trying to make Buxton adjust into a power hitter, it's just... Like the carry is just gonna go back up. Like if I'm if I'm like the twins, I want to develop Buxton as like a ten to fifteen home run guy who just puts the ball in play and uses his speed, which obviously is, is a still a hard thing to do. But but I, it's going back to Floreal on this. It's just I, I I don't know if the caliber prospect that he is compares well to the other three. So like I get that it's under yeah. the same same baseline of having high strikeout rates, but. I think that there's probably better comps than copying him all the way up to a guy like Moncada, who 
I I love the Swing of Mokata. I always have loved the Swing of Mokata. Oh, yeah, no, I, I still I'm love direct, Snow. I'm not directly comp either. I'm saying more like just in general, like high that, that, that profile. We're like, Tatis is one of those guys, right? And he's certainly of that caliber, in, in my opinion. I mean, he's a sure. top yeah, yeah. five attempt prospect. Um, but a lot of it is like, you know, middle infield and some of that stuff mixed in too. But yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I feel like the way I, I, I see, I'm, I'm still not shying away from it because I feel like that's a, a something that can be fixed. Like, that's Miguel Sano yeah. is extreme. And. Sure. Buxton doesn't necessarily have the on base ability. Some of those other guys do, but like Moncada is in a situation that like, you know, a year or two from now I can see that improving. And then he sort of takes that step forward, but he's always gotten on base at a really high clip, you know, and I know that's sort of the same with Sano, but Sano doesn't have like any speed and he's, you know, obviously not his body. And he couldn't have a worse body. It looks like he's, you know, doing nothing to make that. (laughs) any better yeah yeah i mean you know there's obviously some work ethic issues there to get demoted all the way down to high a there's a a a reason it's funny that we're going to spend so much time talking about miguel (laughs) sano but anyway regardless i thought it was sort of an an interesting point but why don't why don't we get into the trip here because you sort of have the travels banter so on the road with lance kerouac (laughs) take me take me to your trip here so so sort of tell tell us Tell us when you left, where you headed to. I want you, um, tell me the road you're on. All right, I want you to start off. Like I'm going to lean back on this man. I'm going <laughs> to let you tell the story. I'm going to ask some questions. Yeah. We're going to use our uh, what, what, what the heck is it? Uh, ARSM voices. What the heck is the? I'm I'm totally not a, like a millennial. I'm I'm not ARSM, hip at all. I don't know where you're going with this. I'm yeah, I don't know like the, <laughs> like the soft the soft voices like you know. Like, like, the, like for, for like senses, like, I don't know. It's, it's big. It's big. Like people will have like read books and like soft voices like this. So okay. here we go. We'll, we'll turn it on. Lance. I'll try Lance, to do this my is, best. Yeah. This is like the kind of like radio show that you hear in like public access and like, you know, <laughs> like, like driving in the car with your Nana. Okay. Yeah. So Lance, you're on, you're on your travels. Mm-hmm. Take it away. Take yeah, it away. So I, <laughs> I don't know how long I'm going to keep this going. Don't so, do the voice. Don't, no, I can't. Just I can't. <laughs> so I, I, it was basically I, I did I did five games I believe in four days total. So I did I, I took off for North Carolina it was my first destination. I basically plotted it out. I took like an Excel doc, Google Google doc, and I went through and I just charted all the teams that were relatively interesting in the Midwest League and in. Uh, you know, like Sally League and et cetera, just everything down there in that region. Because that's the place I hadn't been before. Like, I've, I've been up to Fort Wayne, so I'm going to go there probably next week again because I really like that stadium, and obviously they have a lot of guys there. But So I headed down specifically to Winston-Salem, North Carolina, to see the Dash and see Blake Rutherford. Um, I found out, I believe it's I believe it's Micah Adolfo now. I've always thought it was Micker Adolfo, but the PA announcer said Micah too many times for me to now debate that it's Micker and not Micah. So Micah Adolfo, apparently. And then Aramis Aidman and Gavin Sheets. So this is the Myrtle Beach Pelicans versus the Winston-Salem Dash. And um, this is one of the target ones just because this team is stacked. Um, the stadium is really nice. BB&T Field, I believe, in Winston-Salem. Caught a little bit of rain on pretty much every single day um, of this trip at some point or another. Thankfully, it was only during a bit in this game and then one of the Lexington Legends games I went to. But um, So, yeah, we had the, the basically the four guys that went down here to see specifically five. I guess you could throw in Basabe there, too. We'll talk about the 5x5 later. So I'll kind of hood off on that. But... 
But Rutherford was the individual that stood out to me most here. I've always kind of liked him. He's a high school prep bat. He obviously is going to be a guy, I think, where there's some development that needs to go on with him. But I think he's relatively advanced, honestly, for Winston-Salem. I liked what I saw in his approach. He's much smoother than um, I honestly saw in tape. And I, I think that the theme I want to go with in terms of talking about this draft, just to make it interesting to people as opposed to telling them where I went, is almost taking what I had in my mind as a, as a concept, as a model for what they were in terms of their stats and their video and what I saw, and then what changed when I saw them live specifically, or what I, what I can now add to the picture as opposed to just repeating, regurgitating what their stat line was from the game, et cetera, or anything. But with Rutherford specifically, it was his hands were quicker than I thought they were, and he's actually a little bit fleet of foot. I thought, I thought he was more like a 40, 50 speed guy. I don't remember specifically where uh, – where people had him on scouting grades on that, but that was always just my concept. Like he's a smooth swinging lefty, he probably had some hit tool, develop into the power, and he slows down. But he's he's actually a pretty quick guy. He's a little bit shorter than I thought he was. Um, he's built, but the, he's got a lot of interesting tools here that I, I enjoy a lot. Um, he has the ability to drive the ball the other way. He had other other way. I think he was two for five in the game. I saw he was the other way double, and then he he scored a triple that he tried to leg into an inside the park home run. He got tagged out to play that. I tossed it up on Twitter, but. Really, really good piece on that ball. That was in the upper third of the zone. Quick bat. I think it was around like 93, 94 miles per hour off uh, off a reliever in like the seventh inning or something like that. But Rutherford in this game was the individual that stood out to me most. I like him probably more than I did before. So you consider him almost like a stock up And in terms of what I saw differently than what I, I had in my head about specifically that he's quick. He's quick with his hands, he's quick with his feet. And I think that's going to play out. I think that I'd honestly be surprised if he's – if he's not like a, a regular everyday player. And it, it almost brings me back to like maybe I'm not sure where the ceiling is specifically with him longer term, but I enjoyed what I saw a lot. I, I like him. I'm going to keep an eye on him for sure going forward. I think a lot of other people should as well. I know he's probably in that fringish top 100. I think he's probably in the 80 to 100 range for most people, maybe outside if you don't fully buy into maybe him not being able to platoon versus lefties or if he ends up platoon outfield, obviously the, 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 stock of him goes down to some extent. But Rutherford, obviously, I liked a lot. Mick, Mike Rodolfo is the other one. Obviously, this is the big power bat, so there's a couple of big power bats. I, I got to see Sully when I went to Lexington. But Miker was a lot more closed off in his stance and his approach than I thought he was. I guess I never really looked at his spray chart prior, but I knew he had big power and I knew he had big strikeouts. So to me, when I hear big strikeouts and big power, I immediately just infer that he's a pull hitter, that he has pull power. And that's kind of where I end up with Suli, as we'll get into him in a bit. But with Miker, he stays really, really closed off. His hands are pretty high. I think that it's a relatively fluid swing, but I think he had a he has a bit of a trouble on a hole on the hole inside. And he got tied up by a couple like 90, 92 mile per hour pitches. And again, this is only one game, it's only a small sample, but I think the bat speed's there, but I think he's he's a weirder one. Like I, I almost with we were talking about striker rate, honestly, with Floreal and like these high strikeout guys and, and Micro falls in this category, but he has good power. And I actually almost want to say that he has maybe a bit of a floor compared to some other power hitters. Because I like his gap to gap approach. Like how he swings in his bat path is is conducive to like gap to gap. Like similar to a guy like Nick Prado, as we'll get into, or even like Rutherford, who stays probably more gap to gap as opposed to straight pull. But Micro's more so that and I think I looked actually retroactively looked at his his pull rate. I think it's slightly above like MLB average. I think it's around like 45%. It's fallen a little bit. So maybe this is something he's been working on. I think that he probably needs to loosen up a little bit and eventually get into that and figure out what he could do on the inner third, whether that's standing off the plate, whether that's dropping the hands a little bit. But the bat speed's there. I like him a bit. Mm. I think that I, my impression of him changed in the fact that I thought he was just a high K big power bat to where I almost see him now more as like a, 
a nice floor power hitter with maybe limited upside in terms of if he doesn't ever fix that hole inside or he doesn't bring the strikeout rate down considerably to like 20 to 23-ish percent. If it stays up in like the 27% window, I think he'd still be relatively successful. I just don't know if it's going to be, you know, what I think a lot of people think Suli could become, which is like a 40 home run guy, even though he's hitting 260 or whatever. But then on the other side of the diamond, here's the Winston-Sam Dash and uh, Myrtle Beach Pelicans is the uh, Cubs um, Cubs affiliate. And uh, the only name on that team was Aramis Aitman. And uh, I think actually I want to was it, who was the individual on Twitter that was hopping around and asking about him? I want to say it was, was it Barry? Well, maybe. I don't know if he's in rest. That might, have been a bar- that might, that might, might be a Barry, Barry guy. Might, might be a very guy. Yeah, he's, it's possible. It, possible double definitely a. possible. Yeah. <laughs> but, double uh, A, double B. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But uh, but Aitman uh, is purely, to me, what I saw as a glove first guy at the moment. Um, a little bit noisier of a swing than I, I thought he had. Um, a lot of movement from the left side. Um, but I, I, I think that the thing that stands out with him is that he probably has a better uh, understanding of the zone. And his ability to make contact is back. The ball is much better. Than I thought it. I thought a lot of other people here, even like a guy like Rutherford, a guy like Mike Rodolfo, even like a guy like Wasabi, Eric saw Gavin Sheets as well here. But, but his he, he had a really nice like I think nine or ten pitch at bat versus one of our relievers right in the game where he just fell off pitches just at will, and I really really like that specifically with him. But on the fantasy side of things, I don't know if I see development of you know plus hit tool with average power, which is probably where he becomes relevant on the fantasy side of things as opposed to just being a glove first guy with speed and a good arm. And he booted a ball at short. I, I obviously small sample on that. It could be one of his only errors of the year or whatever. But but if he is a glove first guy, then for fantasy purposes, it's like, do you think that he could develop more power? And this is where I get into kind of my own thought process of okay, so he's smaller. I like the contact ability. Do you project out more power with him specifically? And if you project out that power, how long is that power going to take to come? And this goes back to a lot of guys that we see who are glove first hit tool guys. Like, and I don't want to bring up a Lindor comp, but a guy like Lindor who, who had a really, really good glove for a long time, who, who was a very good hit tool, but no one expected to bring in 30, 35 home run power. Or there's a lot of other guys like this too. Like you'd have that path of things. You go to a guy like a Danny Hitchavaria, who's always been a great glove. Really hasn't been too much bat that ever develops, but the glove's always been there. He's always kind of a high average hitter, but in fantasy side of things, he becomes almost relatively worthless more times than not in terms of just, you'd rather go with maybe a guy with a little bit higher upside. And I, to, for me, I'd probably put it more on like the Danny Hitchavaria side where maybe it's not, Maybe he gets to the major league level and can hit a little bit. Maybe he's like an Albert Amora kind of guy where it's like 280, 300, but there's really not enough counting stats. He's not hitting high enough in the order for it to be very relevant on that side of things and for him to blossom in other ways. But I think that there's tools there that are definitely plus, and I see why he's probably a top two guy, three guy in that system, along with Alzelayer. Dale Cruz, I think, is also in the Cubs system that are notable arms. But on the bat side of things, I see why he's the top prospect in the system. But on the fantasy yeah. side of things, I just think that he's probably borderline, maybe a little bit unappealing to some people. And I'm, I'm okay with that. Like, I, I liked what I saw from him. But um, in those three names, Ralph, any questions or any uh, anything that jumps out to you as maybe deviating from what you think of them or might change your opinion? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think I think that, you know, the things you said sort of about Adolfo and uh, the fact that you know, he sort of has this big hole inside. Um, that's interesting, you know, because I don't think you necessarily get a, a, a great grasp of that, even on tape, depending upon the angle, if it's, you know, open face or you, you don't necessarily see like what the placement of the ball is so well in relation to 
the plate and sort of the hitter's stance. So I think that's really interesting. Your points on Rutherford are really interesting. And um, just even the build and some of the stuff, the athleticism, it seems, that sort of jumped out to you. Um, you seem to think that there's a player there and it's just a matter of sort of the production matching the potential. And you certainly saw the potential and, uh, yeah, as for like admin for me, like, eh, whatever. I mean, like, like you said, like he's, he's kind of like the top guy in the system because they don't really have any other bats. Um, but even, even now after the draft, that might change quickly. And I think that Alex Lang, like, you know, he's shown flashes that, in a real life list, I think there's a very good case that could be made for some of the arms and the performances yeah, that's a good point. Uh, that we've seen from some of those guys. Even Thompson, I think you know Thompson had, had pushed Jake Thompson uh, had pushed the other day, if I'm I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. He's a, another right. yeah. college guy Perfect they got innings, last year. Yeah, he wasn't too bad. So yeah, on on the on the Winston Salem Myrtle Beach side of things, uh, very interesting. Now let's let's move along to possibly. The most exciting, I don't know if that's true, but it might be the most exciting team you've seen. The most, certainly the buzziest team that you've seen in terms of guys who are uh, popping onto the radar and, you know, low A. So you're you're sort of getting these these early, early looks at these guys in their, you know, full season professional careers. And you got Prado there, you got Suli there, and you got MJ Melendez, who, as I think you even texted me, you know, how much of a specimen he is. But, I want to hear about the, the Lexington Legends trip because this one is a really interesting one. So please, yeah, give it to <laughs> us. So yeah, this was the cool. This was actually the, the one of the main reasons I actually got. I coordinated with their their media director. I, was, I actually ended up. I'm going to be writing a column on Nick Prada. I actually got a chance to sit down and talk to him, which was really really cool. So awesome. Um, coordinated this. This was one of the reasons I went down specifically to this area is because I thought that I had a chance to sit down with Prado and talk to him and get into more kind of just. Asking him about his swings. And for anyone that follows me on Twitter, I throw up a lot of adjustment GIFs and adjustments. I really like looking at adjustments that guys do, whether it obviously is or is, is an adjustment that leads to a bunch of success for a guy or maybe minimal success for a guy. I just think it's fun to look at them because it's, it's changes and changes something that I think is relatively inevitable with all players. And if it happens mechanically, then it's something you could visually look at as opposed to players going, yeah, I'm swinging at more of X and I'm not swinging at Y, you know. But with Prado, I actually got a chance. So I made up a couple of GIFs that I found a way to get them out of my phone. As a, instead of posting because I didn't want to post them because I wanted to kind of keep them closed off as, until I get this call out for the SB Nation Royals site I'm doing it for. But but I got to sit down with him and I actually showed Nick Prado the GIFs I made of him. And I went way back and he was laughing about it. But it, we, I went way back to his area code games and Tournament of Stars in 2016. And I comped his swing there. And that's the biggest change you see with Prado specifically is in 2016. And I know it's a ways back, but this is the adjustment he made was that he, when he was with Tournament of Stars in early 2016, he had his hands really far back. And it was almost like he was starting him in his load. And he even said that he was being really handsy with everything. He said he would just literally throw his hands at everything and it would, they're back and he would just kind of throw forward. And he was successful like that. But then he jumped up to the Erico games that was in later, I believe, in August 2016. And he, he started to bring his hands forward. He started to relax himself a lot, kind of get into his lower body a little bit more. And then he rocks back into his load now as opposed to staying back with his hands. And this will be something I'll show in the column. But... He talked about that, and, and the thing for me, and I complimented on, him on it, was that I was like, you know, Nick, you're you're so consistent with your approach, and if you go to that tape in 2016 in the Eric games, Nick Prado, and you look at his swing now, 
there's really, really not much of a difference. And I was like, you know, there's so many guys we see out of high school who make massive adjustments very quickly. We'll see they come out of college, or excuse me, they come out of high school, and you're like, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, short up here, short up here. And the next thing you know, it's a completely different player, and that's like the manifestation you have. In, that's the model you have in your mind of that player. And that's then what's built upon and what's modulated as you go forward. But with Nick Prado, it's like, you go back to 2016 Erico games with him, and it's like, yeah, that looks like the Nick Prado we're seeing now. And, and he said that it's just a matter of, you know, he's a really, really polished hitter. And I think he has yeah. a really good understanding of the zone. But it, and he mentioned, too, like the thing that he didn't like about the season so far is the fact that, you know, his strike rate's high. And it's, it's around like 30%. I saw him strike out three or four times in the two days I saw him. I went to a night game that actually only went five innings and got rained but called because it was a, a, technically a complete game because it was fifth yeah. It was really weird. But uh, but then the next morning was a 10.35 start. So I got to see him early. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff that I could do. I could keep going on Nick Prado forever. He's a really, really nice guy. He was super engaging. You know, he was actually, I think he was relatively interested in, in terms of what I was talking to him about. I know a lot of other people have had experiences with players maybe where it's more like they kind of shrub you off. But, you know, I, I really appreciate Nick taking the time and talking to me. And I'm really excited to write that comment cool. put it out. But he's awesome. cool. I really liked, I really, really like his swing. I like what he's doing. I think that if you project out any bit of power with him, which I think it's tough not to do, honestly, you're looking at, you're looking at a pretty solid player. Um, I, I like, and this is probably some bias creeping in because he's such a good guy to me and stuff. But <laughs> in terms of when I texted you, I, I got to go kind of by their clubhouse. It was, and so it was funny because I know there, I was talking to the media relations person and Prado comes out and then Melendez and Matthias come out. They both come out and they're all there. And I'm like, wow, this is literally like the Royals of the future here. <laughs> I'm standing in front of them. And I'd like to yeah. point out that I am the same height as Sui Matthias. So I guess that's a, that's a, that's a plus. Wow, so he's, but, a, he's uh, <laughs> a big boy, huh? He's like six, three, six, four. I'm like right at his height, but he's also probably like 80 pounds on me. So <laughs> that's, that's what I'm saying. Like, he's, so he's, he's a big, so he's a big dude. <laughs> he's tall. He's tall, lean. He's tall, lean. But the, the, the individual who stood out to me physically the most was, was Melendez. He came out and he was in kind of just an athletic shirt. He is chiseled. I did not think he was just like, I know that catchers are always kind of underrated built in terms of what they have to hold up to in their bodies and the endurance they go through and catching sure. day to day, et cetera. But he stood out to me like Prado's a little bit more of like kind of a, a normal body guy. I would say I'm actually, I think Prado's probably like six, one, six, two, you know, he's good. He's like 200 pounds. He's good. He's, he's a first baseman's build, maybe a little bit smaller first baseman, like a Hosmer kind of build. If you want to go Casey to Casey comp, but Melendez is like a little bit shorter, but he is, He's very, very, you can tell he takes care of his body, and that's stood out to me. But in terms of their play, you know, going back to their play, I, the unfortunate thing is I only got one look at Melendez. I didn't really get any good looks at him behind the plate. There wasn't any situations where he threw down. I didn't really get a chance to see his pop time. His receiving looked relatively good. The individual who he was catching was relatively wild, so there wasn't, wasn't really any framing needed. I was trying to, I was actually texting another individual, Rich Burfer, who's who scouts catchers all the time. I was like, hey, what do you look for in catchers and stuff like that? And I kind of went forward and tried to pick up some things, but I honestly didn't get that good of a look at him. I was, I was mainly focused on Prado and Suli and, uh, and with Melendez, it kind of was just one of more of those things where I was hoping to get some defensive plays for him. And I didn't get any, unfortunately, um, his hands are a little noisy at the play. I think his swing is a little bit noisy as a whole. This goes back to the whole catcher idea. Like I know a lot of people love him defensively. I can't really speak that. I, as I said, I didn't really get a good impression of him defensively, but in terms of his build, he took a ball the other way pretty far, which it was actually a really good piece inside out of the ball. And it went to the track, which I was, Pressed with in terms of just the the pure power that I think he does possess deep down. But if you look at his stats, he's striking out thirty percent of the time. I think you see that in the swing itself. Which and then if you compare that to a guy like Prado, who's striking out thirty percent of the time, is a little bit different. And it's interesting because it's like I think Prado has a much more polished swing than Melendez from the left side. Now I, I bet Melendez might even agree with that, honestly, just in terms mm. of how polished Prado is. But it's just not oh, showing yeah. up in the stats for either of them at the moment. And that's the funny thing too. It's like you know. 
in terms of like what I was saying about just how your impressions change guys, it's like if you if you scat if you stat sheet scout Prado and then go see him, I think it's two very very different things in terms of how how quiet everything is on him and how developed and advanced I think he is as a hitter. It's really just a reps thing with him. I really think it is, and I think it's a power projection thing. But getting to the piece that I know everyone's probably most interested in, Sully Matias is he's big, he's big, he's powerful. But there's a lot of swing and miss in his swing. There's a lot of all the guys I saw in the three days I. I I was watching baseball. He had he had some swings that were just like I don't even know what he was trying to do production wise in terms of at the plate. He had a he went 3-0. I saw actually I think two at two at pass where he went 3-0 and took hacks, took like really, really big hacks on on pitches and swung right through him. And then I think I had one of those three up counts. One of them he walked, but the other one he ended up striking out on a ball way off the plate. Um, I'm not sure if there's really plus breaking breaking ball recognition there. I don't even know if it's average breaking ball recognition. I'd probably say it's one of those at the moment. one of those swings that you taped up. Like he was swinging at something like junk off the plate, and I'm like, yeah, it's, I wouldn't have swung at that. And it's I think that honestly, like I'm impressed with his power. He had a I, I think I saw him hit a double. I also saw him strike out three times in a game. I think he was like maybe one for eight or nine in the in the totality of what I saw of him with a double. And that double was great. It was an inside pitch. You know, he has hands running around on a quick. I could see how he hits 20 home runs. But I think that honestly might be, and I don't want to bog his power down and all, but it almost might be a product of the fact that he he swings at a lot. And he's aggressive. He's very, yeah. very aggressive. So it's like he gets he barrels a ball, it's gone. Like, that's just the product of Suli. But I, I think that you see a lot of hitters like this who are just like, you know, if you believe in Suli, what you're believing in is the fact that you could calm him down. You can maybe quiet him a little bit. I think it's a relatively rigid swing in terms of the power production that comes off. And I'd see even Mike Rodolfo is probably a little bit looser at the plate than him. Suli is like, if you watch some of the tape of him on Twitter that I tossed up, like, you almost think that the video freezes, but it's not. It's literally just him, like, standing there. Like, he, he's very rigid. There's very little movement. There's really not much, you know, there's good separation in terms of how he is upper body and lower body play. And that's probably where he generates a lot of his power. I think he's probably a bit more of, like, an upper body guy in terms of the power production. But um, I, I think that there's some knocks at him that I think that reps might get out of him. But I, I'm not going to be shocked if he's at Lexington for an extended period of time. I'd be pretty surprised if they jump him up quickly because yeah, I, I think there's a, there's a – yeah, I think that I I wasn't blown away by Suli. I was hoping I would be blown away by Suli, but and maybe that's just another thing too. Where I didn't see him square up a ball as opposed to that double. Again, small sample. There's a lot of things that go into here. I, I definitely want to qualify everything I'm saying tonight with that specifically. That I saw a lot of these guys in, in a very small sample, and I was trying to make general impressions over what I thought in terms of of how I uh, stat sheet scouted them prior to actually seeing them. So with Melendez, unfortunately, not too many looks. I thought he was a little bit noisy. Prado, I really like if you project out the power. Um, everything about him stayed consistent. And then with Suli, I was probably neutral to unimpressed, honestly. I, I, if you just want to give me, like, want to give a binary answer in terms of everything, just because I think there's a <laughs> lot of development that has to go on. I don't think this yeah. is something where it's going to be like next year. We're like, oh, look at him. I, I wouldn't be shocked if it's like a, if Estevan Florio. We were talking a little bit of Estevan Florio prior to this podcast. We were talking about just or on the podcast too, specifically just kind of tossing that idea around of, you know, do we, do we, costing ourselves with these higher strikeout guys. And I wouldn't be stunned if you get Suli, you know, he maybe puts up 30 home runs this year in minor league ball through Lexington. Maybe they kick him up to Wilmington, high, whatever. They can do whatever they want, honestly. But I think that strikeout rate's going to stick there. I think it's going to take a while before that comes off it. So that's my impression of Lexington, which was over two days. So I got, I got some nice looks at both those. Um, yeah. And that, that, the future of the Royals. Yeah, that Prado, uh, that Prado stuff is very interesting as well. And I think the fact that he was probably so polished, I'm sure – Probably uh, was a stark contrast to Sui from what you're saying it was, here. Yeah. 
Now you got, you took in a Louisville bats game. I don't know. I guess I missed this. So you got some firsthand looks at Nick Senzel. What was that? Yeah, I did Senzel. That was lovely. It was fantastic. He is, he's the most polished hitter I saw on this trip easily, bar none, honestly, in terms of his approach at the plate. He is so, like, this goes back to the thing. One of the reasons I love Senzel, and I know this was probably brought up by other people, so it might be regurgitation of information here, but if this kid ever gets into, into his lower half, even a little bit more, and even consciously wants to maybe pull the ball a little bit more and lift the ball a little bit more, you're looking at like a third 330 home run guy. And I'm not afraid to say that because his approach is so refined. He stays so yeah. compact with his front foot. And he had, I think, two pitches, two breaking balls that he was fooled on that with his, with his stance and how he loads and how quick he is to everything, he's able to just sit there and get that ball really, really deep in the zone, just toss his bat and foul it off. He did it like three times. Just really, really good pitch recognition, really good bat the ball ability. He stays gap to gap. And staying gap to gap, I think, might limit that power upside for a little bit. But I was actually just reading through before I jumped this pod. You know, Saris does a really good chat on on uh, on the athletic every Friday or something like that. But he was talking about, you know, in general, guys continually make adjustments. And he often talks about like, I like this guy. And if he does this, you know, maybe there's a chance that, or excuse me, if he if he starts hitting the ball in the air more, consciously starts to adjust his launching a little bit, you know, et cetera, maybe he, he hits a little bit better and the production's a little bit better. And that's kind of what I see with Senzel. I like putting him into that category where I think that right now with the major league, he's probably like a 270 hitter. I think he's a productive 270 gap hitter with a lot of doubles. I don't know if the power right off the bat's going to be stellar, but if he ever has a chance to get into his lower half a little bit more, consciously drive the ball more to his pull side, you're looking at legitimate average and power. I really, really like Nick Senzel. This is why he's, I think, a consensus top 10 prospect, and I, I think he should stay in that window. I know there's been some weird vertigo issues. My tough thing with that was just trying to understand, you know, what maybe was lagging behind because of the vertigo. But to me, in terms of what I saw, I didn't really think that he was off at all. He had two really nice singles the other way. He stretched one of the singles into a double. It was like left center, shallow left center. He hustled it out and beat out the throw, which was, again, just him being really, really aggressive. Maybe he had some scouting report on the center fielder's arm or whatever, but um, I love Senzel. I saw Robert Stevenson's probably the best start of his career. <laughs> he went like huh. seven innings, just struck out like nine. He just dealt. I, I don't know where it came from, but uh, super, super uh, um, high effort delivery with him, but I've always kind of had a weird soft spot for Stevenson, but really, really volatile. This goes back to a I mean, yeah. it's just a matter of like if he was highly together, touted together, at one point but really highly touted and then the last one is, is a nephew of a Guerrero which is hilarious because I I mean no matter where I am I run into a Guerrero Gabriel they call him Gabby Guerrero Gabriel Guerrero Gabriel Guerrero um, the nephew of Vlad Guerrero Sr. so I guess the cousin of Junior um, looks probably more like Vlad Sr. than Vlad Jr. which is really funny just in terms of his mannerisms <laughs> his stance his size too he's a little bit taller and leaner um but I didn't know who this kid was. Is the funny thing because I only kind of this was like a last minute game I got to. I knew since I was playing, I wanted I, Louisville was only like an hour and a half from Lexington, so I was like, oh, I could get this in. Sweet, get look at Sinzel quick, and and then head up to head up to the north um, on Chicago and stuff. But uh, but yeah, I was uh, I sat down, you know, first inning, and he actually drives the ball right center, probably about maybe 400, 420 feet out, and I was like, wow, that was relatively impressive. I, I just didn't expect to see oppo power right off the bat from a righty like this, you know, I just, especially in the minor leagues. And I Runs watched him next at bat. <laughs> exactly. I watched him next at bat. And I was like, oh, no way. This is Guerrero. And I started looking at him. I was like, yeah, this has to be somehow related to, to Guerrero. And then I actually ended up going and taking video of him. And I was sitting next to this kid. And he's like, yeah, it's a nephew of, of uh, Vlad Guerrero, blah, blah, blah. And like, he, I don't think he's as highly touted. But I, I was really impressed with that home run he went with the other way. I, I, I just... I'm going to keep an eye on him. And he's hitting like 280-ish, I think, with Louisville right now. I think it's a really small sample again here. But uh, 
Um, he had some swing and miss. I don't think he walks a lot at all, but the bat to ball was fine. It was pretty good and it was impressive. So uh, um, I enjoyed him. So I guess if you say you want to get excited about another Guerrero, go for it. Uh, Gabby Guerrero on the Reds, AAA. Nice. I was going to say now we've gone through some great prospects. We have a few more to get into, but how does, uh, how does Senzel compare to like in your minds, long-term prospect wise to like Bichette, Vlad Guerrero Jr., some of the other guys, yeah. Brendan Rogers, guys that you've seen. Cause we've got to see, you know, some interesting guys about a thousand times here on the East coast together, yeah. uh, between Vlad and Bo and, and Brendan Rogers. So, how does how does he compare to some of the guys that you saw, you know, over here in the Eastern League and and whatnot? You know, that's a, that's a really good point. I think that Vlad obviously stands out as the number one in that tier. I think that Bichette yeah. is much rawer than either Rogers or Senzel. I think that Rogers and Senzel are, are relatively interesting comps to bring them together into the forefront and, and compare them back to back, especially with what Rogers has been doing on the power side. Because I don't know. I, I remember last year I wasn't thoroughly impressed with Rogers, but. This year, I think we've both been very impressed with Rodgers, and I, I thought I saw something a little bit different in terms of I was hitting the ball power-wise. I thought that, honestly, it would be more on the fly ball side of things, which hasn't really manifested. So I guess I'm right and wrong. I was right that he's playing better, but wrong that he's not hitting the ball in the air more. He's just kind of producing more on the power side of things. But yeah. I think Sinzel is, is honestly a little more polished of an approach generally. I think he has a little bit better bat-to-ball than Rodgers. I think that maybe there's more power projection there as well in terms of what he's able to get into. I really like both their swings a lot from the right side. Um, which is something I, I probably can't say too, too much because there really aren't too many lovely righty swings. You go back to guys like Miguel Cabrera is one that I think a lot of people think of when they think of beautiful righty swings. But Sinzel's, I wouldn't say it's beautiful. I just think it's so compact and he has so much natural power and explosiveness from what he's able to do that that's how I was so impressed. Because if you have any adjustment off of that, then you, you project out Sinzel and you get a legitimate top like 50 to 60 overall player i think in fantasy leagues and that's valuable i think that if you get that return on some guys on the fantasy side of things like you're you're sitting pretty you know and not everyone's going to be a top 20 guy not everyone's going to be a lindor or harper or even like a yelich to some extent but i like since a lot in terms of competent to rogers i put since above rogers um I, that's an interesting comp i think that there's a debate there honestly i think that's a good debate because they're both nice contact righties I think Sinzel's probably going to end up walking a little bit more, maybe striking out a little bit less. Maybe Rogers has a little bit more swing and miss than him. I think that Sinzel can develop more power, but I think that that's going to be really tough to call back-to-back, especially because Rogers is going to be in core. So if that plays up on the fantasy side of things, then sure. you're looking at Rogers and cores. Maybe you get him to 25 Great American ballpark ain't too shabby, Great though. Good. That's true. That's another good point, too. So and the other thing is I wanted I, to bring up Senzel just to, from a defensive standpoint, I would imagine is far, far superior to Rogers, no? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I got him. I got looks at him at second base, which is he's plus at just because he's natural, I believe, third baseman. But he, I know he also plays him short, so I know there's some versatility there. So, yeah, I, I'd say that Sinzel's a better glove than Rodgers, um, personally, in terms of maybe that slows down over time because I think that Sinzel maybe fills out a little more, becomes a little bit bigger of a guy than Rodgers, whereas Rodgers, I think, maybe is borderline maxed out in terms of his size. He's always going to be a little bit undersized. But, um, no, Sinzel Rodgers is a fun comp. I, I'd probably take Sinzel, but, uh, um, but Rogers is right up there. I think that Rogers' stock's gone up for me in the last in times we've seen. Um, stock that has also gone up is Rotoware because they've been making fantastic shirts, right, Ralph? That's absolutely true. They are the Vladimir Guerrero Jr. of the T-shirt game. I don't care. Unquestioned, they have a one-one dad shirt. That if you're hearing this and you need a last-minute gift, maybe you can order that shirt from Rotoware, get it overnight to your dad just in time, or maybe get it as a late gift. Who knows? Or you can go over to Rotoware Classic. 
and you can check out the Mulder emoji shirt and all the other <laughs> great shirts that he's been putting out there on the daily. He's been getting some hype from actual MLB players. Mitch Hanniger has been hitting him up. He actually did hear from Tyler O'Neill. I said, please, oh. if you build a relationship with Tyler O'Neill, you need to get him on the podcast. He's the only person I want to interview on the podcast. <laughs> I'm on for like the whole show and just like talk about stuff with him. But he, he actually heard back from Tyler O'Neill and he said that he actually wears the Tyler O'Neill shirt on uh, chest day that when he's, when oh he's bench God. pressing, he wears the Tyler, o you don't bench Tyler O'Neill. <laughs> Tyler O'Neill benches you. He actually wears it like in the Memphis facility. Isn't that hilarious? Like, I love uh, it. And he had sent it to the St. Louis. And then I guess, I guess St. Louis sent it to Memphis after he got sent home back yeah. and he hit Kenny up. And then obviously he's got some love from James Paxton and he gets yep. love from all us fantasy experts that he does shirts for. He's continually putting out a different Justin Mason trolling shirt every single week. He's got a, a, <laughs> a foot shirt with Justin Mason as toenails. We have an entire concept built up off of these toenails with different ethnicities of Justin Mason's. It's great. So now that I've talked about all the inside jokes, you should go over to rotobear.com. You should use our promo code SAGNOF to get 20% off all your purchases today. It's... Uh, it would be absolutely wonderful. Thank you, dear. I had my wife bring me some tea. And uh, yeah, so <laughs> rotoware.com. <laughs> that was the most like, fantastic. That was the most all over the, the place uh, rotoware commercial ever. But I, I, I dig it because it's my favorite part about Kenny is that he's just he's just pumping out shirts for inside jokes Literally. and stuff it. that happens. You know, he's getting love from, like I said, it's crazy that he's now getting love from like MLB players like a year after he started this company. But it's there you real. go. Oh, he's, he's doing good work. Absolutely. So what, not one to bury the lead. Let's, let's jump right back here into Hunter Green. I want to hear yeah. all about Hunter Green, man, because he's been, uh, he's been pushing lately. He certainly has pitched better than he had early in the season. Some of his luck, I think it sort of turned around. The reports have been good. I've heard, you know, he hit 101 10 times the start before you saw him. Doesn't sound like that was necessarily the case, but I want to hear your impressions. So I'll shut the heck up and let you get into Hunter Green. Yeah, Hunter Green uh, lined up for this start in South Bend against a South Bend Cup team that is really relatively depleted of talent. But Dayton has Jeter down. Seeing lots of Cubs affiliates, huh? I know, yeah, and Reds. I don't really know what's going on. I guess it's just me as a well, the Reds are good. Cardinal fan. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Cardinal fan trying to scout all these guys just to get an idea who they are. So when they're providing me misery in the future, I, I know them from – and have them a little more of a personal connection to them so I can maybe tolerate <laughs> a little bit more. But uh, but uh, but Hunter Green, this lined up really well, and I, I, I made the drive out to South Bend just to see him because I just feel like there's very small instances where I'd be able to see him. And I I – also went with the idea to get video of his mechanics because I wanted to see them in person. And I was relatively blown away in terms of how wow. explosive, how fluid he is. He is like a physical specimen, number one. I still can't get over the fact that he's only 18 years old. Like that is just bonkers to me. Like you see him in person. He's a chiseled 6'3". He's explosive. He's fluid. Everything he does is with purpose. He long tosses before games. His regiment actually, like, I, I don't know if they time it specifically like this, but he was out there, like, 35 minutes before the start, and then in the top of the first inning, because they were their way team, Dayton Dragons, he was still throwing in the pen. So it seems like he has, like, in terms of the guys that I've seen warm up who are maybe more like 25-minute guys, he seems like he extended out to 30, 
40 minutes, which is maybe just, again, a regimen of what he does. I know that he has very particular on the arm care side of things, but just his demeanor too. Like I, I really don't bring up intangibles with guys ever, but he was interacting with people like pre-start. He was interacting with kids pre-start. I didn't really say anything to him. I didn't really want to say anything to him. I was just letting him do whatever he wants to do and stealing video of him because his, his mechanics are gorgeous. But he would give a ball to a girl. He was talking to this other kid. Like I do, You rarely see pictures. I know it's weird just to bring up intangibles around a guy, but you rarely see guys on start day like this, like interacting with other people. And that's what stood out to me because like I'm so used to seeing guys like who are just absolutely in the zone who just who go there who put in that 35 minutes and then hit the mound and then are are zombies you know they're they're focused on what they're doing and there's nothing wrong with that at all i'm not saying it's a knock at all it just it stood out to me for better or for worse whatever you want to say maybe he's unfocused on the negative side of things or just he's a really good guy on the other side of things like whatever way you want to spin that spin it feel free but it impressed me just because of his demeanor the fact that he's 18 years old and he's doing this and he's this explosive he's this clean his mechanics i i was blown away i enjoyed it a lot and then the actual start expectations I think were really really high it's probably the most excited I think I've ever been to see a pitcher at this low of a level I, I can't say I've had many really good looks at top pitching prospects it's extended period of times so I think a while back I saw Barrios in a start Henry Owens for the uh the old Red Sox guy who kind of blew up is nothing now he was a relatively highly tied prospect for I saw him a couple times and some other people too I Jesse Biddle who's like reliever with the Braves now I remember when he was a relatively good prospect with the Phillies I saw him a couple times but none of those guys really compared to what I was expecting to see from Hunter Green he didn't really hit 100. I was using the stadium gun. I obviously don't have a radar gun, which I'm obviously thinking, again, expensive, whatever. But so the inconsistencies with the with the stadium gun, whatever you want. He topped out at 97, was sitting more kind of 93 to 95 consistently. He dropped down to 91 a little bit, which I think maybe was more spin on that pitch, maybe some uh, arm side run on it. He has a natural cut on his fastball, which might be a little bit different than a guy who, you know, is throws a little bit more lower three quarters who gets that natural arm side run. So I got some slow-mo video of that. I got some slow-mo video of him behind where he was throwing his pen to get a good look at his slider. Very good pitch. I like that slider as plus already in terms of just the use of it. I don't know if the command is on the plus side of things, so maybe just call it average for now. And then when he gets the command up, that turns into a plus pitch. But he's basically fastball slider. I like the fact that he's using, he's attempting to use his changeup. I think I saw it about four or five times based off the VLA readings I was getting and what I was looking at in terms of how the pitch was running and stuff. But um. But a guy who's 18 years old who was at this level who's willing to use a changeup like that, for me, helps me project that out more. Because I love his arm speed. I love his mechanics as a whole. Generally, people look at that as projection of a changeup. Sometimes they also look at general fastball command, which was something that I, I wouldn't say was spot on for him. I thought the pitch was relatively hittable on the fastball side of things. But people tend to kind of look at the contracts around the other side of the pitcher as opposed to the changeup itself to project out a changeup. And that's kind of what I did with Hunter Green. And I saw the pitch itself. I liked the drop on the pitch. I liked the vertical run on the pitch. Um, I think that as a whole, that pitch could end up being plus as well. So you're basically looking at a guy who has a high-velocity fastball, maybe not an unhittable fastball, which is a, definitely a distinction that I think you have to make when you're talking about Hunter Green. You have to look at him as a contract of, he's a high-velo guy, but he's not like a Kopech high-velo guy. Kopech throws 98-99. That pitch is a lot of movement, a lot of bite, and it's hard to hit. Whether it's down in the zone or wherever it's elevated, I know that Kopech also makes it in a sinker. But, but with Hunter Green, that's a high-velo pitch, but... It felt hittable to some extent. I know he wasn't pumping 100. Um, he topped out for me on the gun again. It's 97. The pitch was more than 93, 95. But it, it, the, the South Bend Cubs strategy against him seemed to be just put the bat on the ball. And there were some pieces of hard contact. He gave up a couple doubles. He gave up a couple singles that were hard hit, I would say, or, or higher end of medium contact to lower end of hard hit. They were hit pretty hard. They were loud, loud contact off of our green. And maybe this is a command thing. Maybe this is just the general 
ability of the fastball to be hit as opposed to him just blow away people. But the thing I will say about the fastball is that when he elevated it, it was very hard to hit. And this goes back to a whole theory around low spin pitches and low spin fastballs. And if they're elevated, they become a little bit more effective at pitches. If anyone remembers what Luis Castillo did last year, and this is something I brought up a lot. One of the reasons I loved him a lot was because he took a low spin pitch, his four-seamer, he brought it up on the zone, then he mixed in a sinker, lower part of the zone. So he was able to use that sinker early in counts as a way to get ahead. And then what he was able to do with that fastball is leave that if he wants to elevate early in the count, he can elevate with that pitch early and get ahead, or he could use a late in the count. And obviously, he has a plus changeup, etc. Very different pitcher, but the concept of using a lower spin fastball up in the zone is something that I'd be really interested to see if Hunter Green develops in the future, because that's where the pitch was effective for me. That's when he he hit 96-97 was in that window when he was elevating the pitch, and I don't think there was much contact on that pitch when it was up in the zone. I'd be really interested to see like a contact chart in terms of where he was placing the pitch, because I think most of the balls that were hit were probably middle-middle, probably middle-down, maybe, on a low spin pitch, relatively easy to make contact with, even if it is 94 95 so there's knocks on Hunter green but i love what he is as a pitcher i love his age i love the fact that he's this fluid i think that these are possibly the best mechanics in the minor leagues in terms of just fluidity and explosiveness and how he uses his body and his kinetic chain um there's a lot of other guys that i'm sure could be in this conversation but i don't think many of them have the upside Hunter green does and that's where i'm going with on this is we have this whole theory i'm gonna this back to you ralph i'm actually interested in your just kind of impressions around like do you think we're getting into a, an, a, a time period where high school pitchers, maybe we kind of deviate from the fact that they're high risk? Because to me, like I'm seeing guys like Hunter Green, I'm seeing guys in Mackenzie Gore, obviously down with the blister problem right now. But we have a lot of high school pitchers too, like Carter Stewart we're going to see in short season balls. Yeah. These other guys possibly who are sure. really, really good pitchers. Like, are we going to, are we going to look three years down the road? Mackenzie Gore. Go, yeah. You know, Mackenzie. Yeah. Like there's others too. It's just, are we going to look back three years down the road and go, wow, we were well, wrong about there being immense risk in high school pitchers. Yeah, and I think I think it's uh, the, the bigger thing is the development cycle with these guys, and the fact that it's inherent that a pitcher more than likely will sustain at least one significant injury or somewhat partially, we'll say partially significant injury, or maybe they miss a few months at some point in their career, right? I mean, I think that that's unfortunately sort of built into our heads, and so especially because we look at things from such, such a fantasy angle. And I think a lot of people do in terms of baseball coverage nowadays that we sort of knock down pitchers a little bit in the high school pitchers a little bit because in our dynasty leagues, we don't want to take on that risk. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. I mean, so just to look at it from that perspective and it's, 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 it's emotional because you may think someone is great, but they're 18 and there's such a struggle for them to sort of get to that finished product where they were really good major league or like between drafting and becoming Luis Severino, you know, not Severino was drafted, but you know what I mean? Just like a young promising stud starter, right? Like that's what we're all targeting. And that's what we hope Hunter green becomes. And, you know, the throws really hard and has, you know, great breaking ball and like that third pitch and all, and it all sort of works. I mean, I think it's, it's a similar profile and there's so much work and development and failure and adjustment and growth that sort of goes into that. Now, I think one of the foundations to be able to get to that point is work ethic. You know, obviously there's natural, natural ability, but it's also approach, you know, how you approach the work and the off the field work and using the information that's provided to you and being able to make adjustments and improvements because of that information that you get, especially the higher levels you move up and the better your team is maybe about providing the information. We know there's some organizations that are better than others terms of using that but you know i think that's something that when you look at some of these pitchers that have had breakouts 
this year, uh, Trevor Bauer. I think you know he's a guy who really uses the information, and 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 that's one of the reasons that I think you know whether it's reality or you know him being able to try stuff out and then measure it, and just having confidence in using it in certain ways. And I think that all that stuff, that application of that stuff, is being applied at even lower levels now. We know that there's a 3500 uh, RPM uh, curveball, you know, uh, from 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 Carter Stewart. We know that. We didn't know that 10 years ago. And there's all this nutritional mm-hmm. stuff. And there's a lot of different uh, ideas about working out. And, and, and it's not necessarily about building up mass any longer. And it's not like this old school thinking that, you know, we're, we're not just, you know, applying the same sticker to everybody. And I think that there's different programs that work for different people. And, you know, if you're the kind of player that puts in the work off the field to sort of get to that point and utilize all that information there, then, yeah, I think there's a chance that we might see younger players that are better. I think we've seen younger players that are better. We've just had this high school righty thing in particular in the top 10 that hasn't panned out. There's been a lot of other high school righties that have been drafted outside of that top 10 in the later, you know, round three to nine or whatever you want to say that have been pretty good. So I think there's some false perception there. I think that there's uh, some, you know, recency bias just in terms of like, you know, what we've seen over the last 10 years with this particular box and, and, and type of player or segment of players. But, I think with all the information that's coming up now over the last five to six years, it seems like the players that are getting drafted from the professional ranks and the college ranks, if they're a serious guy, they're putting in the work off the field. They seem to be getting to the major leagues quicker and they seem to be better once they get there and continually getting better. I think we're seeing um, just sort of another renaissance in terms of information and training and what guys do. I mean, there was no Adam Ottavino renting out a storefront in, you know, downtown (laughs) Manhattan, you know, so he could build his own synthetic uh, pitching environment to track the spin rate and rework a slider. Right. I mean, like, do you agree, Lance? I think that like, that's the stuff in baseball over the last even three years within the window that I've been writing about baseball stat cast has come into existence and the the data has become uh, publicly uh, uh, available. And, we're seeing now this, you know, sort of re- request. I think it's a building uh, narrative that people want to see that at the minor league level as well. They want to be able to measure. It's one of the things that's really cool about some of the parks in the Arizona Fall League is you do get those exit velocity readings and you get some of the stuff that, mm-hmm. unless you're, you know, there with a gun and you, you might be able to get some of it, but if you don't have a full TrackMan system, you can't measure spin rate, dude. You know what I mean? Some of that stuff. So yeah. it's. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't know if you, if you agree it's or disagree. I think that that's, I think that that's a big factor that's driving a lot of success, and especially some of these bigger name guys, like a guy like Hunter Green is, is, you know, that's a big prospect. And you say he's got the personality, go with it. I know it's one of the things that sold the Reds on him, but you know, he came from a, a somewhat affluent background, and I think he always went to good schools. And I just wonder some of the techniques and information that might have been available to him versus, mm-hmm. you know, whoever in the Dominican Republic, or this place or that place, right? I mean, yeah. it's it's interesting to see, you know, how this all develops. 
No, I 100% agree with you. I think that that's a good point. Like, you make very good points there in terms of just what's available. Like, what we're able to take, you know, maybe in the past, the high schoolers we've seen blow up that are high school righties were just doing the wrong thing. Maybe, you know, maybe they shouldn't have been throwing 98. And particularly not because of the stress in the arm, but throwing 98 because maybe that's not how they pitched best, you know? Maybe there's a lot yeah. of things that go into it. Spin rate side of things, sequencing side of things. We have all this more knowledge on, on a variety of topics from breaking balls to spin rates, this and that, and commanded pitches and sequencing of them and tunneling and all this other stuff. That it's like, like maybe in the past we were just like, oh, velocity, like, oh, nice kids, you know, 97, pump 97, drop that curveball as hard as you can. And now it's like, no, like, use that fastball, maybe elevate it a little bit, bring in a little bit of a change up, bring in a little bit of a slider, you know, mix it up a little bit, bring up, obviously be a proponent with that change up a little bit more as just work on pronation as opposed to just snapping a pitch and really screwing up your arm and putting stress on your arm. Like there's so many other factors on the high school side of things. I just think for fantasy side, I, the obvious thing is that it takes a while. So it's like, if you don't want to assume that four year risk of a guy like Hunter Green, when you took him in the first year player draft, I'm fine with that. Like I get it's a big risk. Hunter Green has a ton of upside. And it goes to the back to guys like Shane Baz, too, who's another guy I think we were talking before the podcast about short season ball. Kind of like, he's going to be inside. It looks like he's being reassigned to rookie level. So, again, like this, he's a slow-moving prospect. He's a high school righty who throws really hard with really good breaking stuff and a very athletic delivery. And it's like, you could project that out, and it's great. And it, I like Shane Baz a lot, but you have I, I, I like Shane Baz a lot, assuming the fact that it's going to take him three or four years to even – you know, become to get that buzz and garner the buzz that he's, that he's, that he's uh, deserving of, I guess you could say. So yeah, I just think maybe we look back in a couple of years and we go, wow, yeah, maybe the hit rate on these high school prospects is, is better than it was. But at the same time, yeah. you know, it still might take four years. So I guess that's a qualification of the, of the fact itself. Mm. So I think we're almost at an hour already. <laughs> yeah, this was, this went on for a while. This was a, uh, my opening up because I haven't really talked to anyone about this. I've been like, I'm putting together probably a column or two on it and I'm writing the Prado column and some other stuff, but I, I wanted to <laughs> spew this all. So this is turned into the Lance pot, I guess. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. And, and I was going to say, do you, do, do you still want to do the five by five? Do you want to like roll through this as quickly as we possibly can? Just yeah, name some names. Yeah, yeah. Maybe not, maybe not let's dig in so much, but maybe spout off some, some recent statistical uh, numbers and, and whatnot. Sure, that work for you? Yeah, yeah. You want to you want to take it off so, first? Yeah, the first guy I want to mention, I had him the lead in my minor league update uh, on Thursday. That's Ryan McKenna of the Baltimore Orioles. I guess he's the Orioles pop up prospect of the season. He is at uh, um, High A uh, Frederick, and he's really taken a huge step forward, particularly from everybody I've I've spoken with. Uh, Luke Seiler, who if you don't follow him, check him out on Twitter. I think he writes for like Birdland or one of those. Uh, uh, blogs that cover sort of the, you know, like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like the, the Viva Los Verdos of, uh, of the Orioles, the Orioles world. And he's been really high in McKenna. This is a guy that was, I think a fourth round draft pick a few years back out of the uh, New Hampshire prep ranks. Actually went to St. Thomas Aquinas in, in, in New Hampshire for what it's worth. Uh, But he's kind of been off the radar. Didn't even make the top 30 list for baseball America, for the Orioles. And that's saying a lot because the Orioles like top 30 list. I said this in my article, I'm going to regurgitate my article, but the top 30 list is like, you know, g- garbage after the top five. There's nothing there in that Orioles system. It's relatively barren guy didn't even make it. I and mean, he's totally put himself into the conversation, in my opinion, for a top 100, top 150 type prospect, really compact swing. The pitch recognition skills have just like, they're staggering how much they've improved. Uh, he made a few swing adjustments. He dropped his hands a little bit. Um, 
sort of changed the bat path. He's got a little bit more slight, you know, uppercut swing to it now, but he's a really interesting player. And I think the biggest thing is the walk rate is driving everything. And he's walking at a huge clip. The strikeouts are down a ton. Um, he actually says that some of the adjustments that he made had started toward the end of the year in 2017 with Merva, And he went in like a, a, a nice, you know, tangent the last 10 to 15 games where like he hit 300, he was driving the ball a lot more. And I've actually heard Luke Siler say that he's the best runner in the Orioles system. Now, if you look at the statistics, he's actually like a 50% or like 40% success rate in terms of steals. So he hasn't been stealing this year, but that's actually one of his best assets to go with a plus contact profile, plus on base ability and, you know, maybe average power, but he has been driving the ball. He's, he's hit for some power so far. And I mean, the numbers are insane through 66 games. He's slashing, uh, 375, 466, 557. Um, he's got, you know, 59 runs in 66 games and eight homers. And as I said, the steals haven't been great so far, five steals, and, you know, uh, and caught stealing six times. But this is a guy that was 20 for 22 last year in the base pass. And I think we've seen sometimes with just it's bad luck and running situations and all that sort of stuff. But there's certainly like, you know, 15 steal plus speed there. Uh, he's a legitimate center field prospect that could stick in the middle uh, of the diamond. And I think the fact that he has this approach and this sort of like leadoff hitter sort of profile, um, he's a guy that's sorely needed by Baltimore in an organization that isn't known for great scouting, certainly misses out on a lot of international prospects. They need some controllable guys that can contribute. So uh, Ryan McKenna is a really interesting player. We'll see if he's a pop-up guy or if he's here to stay, but I'm very intrigued. And I, I, I don't know if you've had a chance to take a look at the swing at all, but it's a really compact right-handed swing. I, I like it. Quick hands too. No, that's interesting. I, I don't think I've dug into, into McKinney much at all, but um, yeah, I mean, I feel like we've gone through, I wonder if he's going to be like, do you think he's a guy um, who possibly can do that, that buoy to MLB jump that they've done so many times with guys? If, if you know that if the tangible speed tools there and there's some other things like, Maybe yeah, he's, he's a good defender too. Like, hey, you know, he's ready. You know, he can yeah, he's, right now. If if there were some injuries, like Adam Jones gets hurt, something happens, they decide to trade Adam Jones. Like, if any of that stuff happens, there's definitely a trigger of events. But they have a lot of outfielders in that system, so it would surprise me a little bit. But um, yeah, I don't know. He's he's an interesting one, and he's certainly somebody that should be on everybody's radar um, and should be added in any sort of dynasty leagues where you own, you know, 120 prospects or more. And he's somebody that you could have gotten for free in like 30 team leagues. I mean, he was only picked up in the RAS 30 probably about, you know, two, three weeks ago. So there you go. But Lance, I don't want to spend too much time in the five by five tonight because you were so late yeah, into the show yeah. already. But <laughs> who's, your, who's your number one? My number one is uh, uh, is going to be a guy in the Cardinal system. Shocker here. But uh, it's Andrew Kisner. Um, he's an individual I think I've wrote about a couple times, actually. He's got sent back down to double A. So he's he's made some weird jumps, particularly because of the injury to Yadier Molina. He kicked up to triple A when Kelly went up, then Kelly got hurt. But they didn't decide to promote um, Kniser. They they promoted, I think, another individual or some other. They had some weird catching deal going prior to Yadier returning. But Yadier returns, Carson Kelly returns, and they kicked Kelly down. So he's full-time catcher with Memphis, and now... Uh, Nizer is is full time catcher back with Springfield the Double A team so he goes back down to his level but he was actually hitting relatively well at Triple A he was a uh, three thirty three in the fourteen games he played he had no homers but he had five doubles really really good approach guy again this is a guy who is pretty much maintained you know Danny Jansen esque I guess you could say profile on on the specifically just the peripheral side of things being that nice contact bat 
with uh, Jansen put together a ton more power recently, and I think he's kind of kicked into some circles. But but in, and Neiser hasn't done that yet in terms of the power side of things, but the approach is there, six strikeouts to four walks in this small sample. But um, he's interesting. I think that I wanted to bring him up specifically because I think it just highlights possibly some of the depth we have around catching prospect. And I know this was something we talked about a lot, and we know we talked about it in, in length when we talked about Joey Bard a little bit and just because of... You know, when he's not sure around catchers, specifically, even as a guy I think we all think as good as Bart and the power that Bart possesses, obviously Georgia Tech catcher for anyone that doesn't know that went to the, to the San Francisco Giants. But um, but with Kniser, you know, it's he's interesting. Um, I want to keep an eye on him. He made some pretty cool adjustments from NC State. He dropped his hands a little bit, shortened up his leg kick, become a very, very good contact hitter now. I know some people aren't in love with the swing. It's not, it's not the most fluid or righty swings, but it works. It works really well. He's really good knowledge of the strike zone. I'd like to see him maybe get into a little bit of power. I think there's buzz in Cardinals Nation now that maybe he's the heir apparent to Yachty as opposed to Carson Kelly. I honestly almost want to split it down the middle and say that I think we're going to probably get into a, a phase of, of thought eventually where we're getting more kind of split time, pure split time catchers and in valuing guys who are able to play elsewhere on the diamond. I don't I don't know how much um, Kisner has played elsewhere in the field. I know he, I believe, was brought up like a shortstop move to third base and then obviously about the catcher. Maybe he still has the ability to go back to third base eventually, which would be pretty cool. But, um, yeah, depth of catcher. Just wanted to bring him up, hit well in AAA. Um, clearly, it seems like the bat plays up at multiple levels, but he's back down to AA. I'd like to see him succeed down there for a bit and, and be really interested to see what the Cardinals do in terms of development with Kelly and, and Kisner. Who's your number two, Ralph? So my number two is uh, Andreas Jimenez of the Mets. He's playing for Port St. Lucie in the Florida State League. One of the reasons I wanted to mention him is I had an extensive conversation on air on the live baseball show on YouTube over on Fantrax with Jason Woodell, who's gotten a ton of live looks at Jimenez. He loves Jimenez. Badass, let little little compact lefty swing, seriously. And he's one of these guys that, he, that Jason swears that the scouting grades are underselling how good this guy is. Speed, I mean, he's really added, I think, you know, in terms of base stealing ability, he's taken to another level this year. He's got 22 steals in 60 games on 27 attempts. So, you know, he's a plus runner right now. Um, he's got some pop in the bat. I mean, he's not setting the world on fire, but you know, he's slugging a respectable 427 for a 19 year old middle infield prospect in the notoriously difficult Florida state lead to hit for power, um, you know, hitting for a, a decent average as well. And one of the things that Jason had sort of mentioned, he's hitting 277. And one of the things that Jason had mentioned as well, was that this guy is really smart hitter, you know, constantly makes adjustments in games. You know, he said that like, you know, every at bat, he sort of improves like that first at bat. He may look silly. I think he said he was facing Kyle, uh, uh, Muller and Muller six, a six, seven lefty that, you know, throws hard. And he said he was sort of like sat down on like three or four pitches first at bat, but like that second at bat, like he worked the walk and then like the third at bat, you know, he was seeing somebody else, another guy out of the pen that was throwing like 97, another lefty. And he said, he just, you know, knocked a double, like, you know, down the, down the right field line or something. So it's one of those things where he said, you know, the defense is there. He's like, you know, a 60 grade glove, 60 grade arm. Um, you know, the powers is, is at least average, if not a little bit above average, you know, he thinks he can develop that part of his game. He's got the above average wheels and he's got the above average hit tools. So I think he's a little bit undersold and I know he's been ranked like number one in the Mets system, but I think it's for almost by default because there's nothing much there besides Jimenez, but yeah, wow. From all the stuff I heard from Jason, and I dug in a lot on uh, Jimenez, watched a ton of tape on him from the past two years uh, in preparation of the show because I knew we were going to talk about him. He's the featured player. And I got to tell you, I step away impressed. And the fact that the defense, the speed, you know, 
the power is is coming. All that stuff is there. I mean, he's a legitimate potential five-tool player and could be really important to a fantasy team because he's one of those sneaky, like, uh, uh, middle infield guys like Jose Ramirez was, or like you said, Francisco Lindor. And I'm not, I'm not comping them directly. I'm not saying that he's going to be this, mm-hmm. but those guys have that profile, like where there's like this upside that can just play up in fantasy because they balance speed with some untapped power and they're going to, they have the defense to stay in those middle infield positions for a long time. And they're shallow and he's got the hit tool. He's got the speed already there. If he grows into 20 homer power, I mean, a guy that can hit 280, you know, hit 20 homers and steal 20 bases in the major leagues is an incredibly valuable fantasy player, especially at like second base or shortstop. So uh, I guess it'll be interesting to see how everything plays out with him and Ahmed Rosario, who struggled a little bit at the major league level. I know I'm ranting and raving now, but Jimenez is somebody that you keep an eye out for. And uh, it was a good sale job by Jason. Hey, at least our number three is your number five. So we actually only have nine this week. Oh my God. I didn't even see. We both picked Widener. That is really funny. Mm-hmm. And you sent me these ahead of time too. <laughs> and I plugged Widener in. Wow. I'm insane. So but I'm going to start with my number two. Why don't you go with, why don't <laughs> you start with number five and we'll just do my number three and you can go to your number three and four. So why don't you tell me like you, why you like Widener <laughs> other than the fact that he's striking the entire world out. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, it, that start jumped out to me, obviously. So he, he pitched on the 13th. He had six innings, three hits, two walks, 12 strikeouts. Uh, he had another start like this, similar in mid-May, actually. Seven innings, four hits, no walks, 11 strikeouts. So this one a little bit more on the walk side of things. The thing that's actually jumped out to me on this was I was searching for him, and I found an MILB article, and they said that this start specifically was due to a mechanical tweak, but that's all it said. There wasn't really anything else there, and I always find that funny when, I don't know, maybe I'm one of the few that really likes to know what those mechanical tweaks are. Yeah, same, you know? right? I but, saw uh, the same tweet. But if you, you're like dangling the carrot, and then like you're not actually giving me the carrot after I then run the whole treadmill and get the carrot. You know what I mean? Like, Well, it was in my article, and I was kind of like, oh, yeah, the mechanical tweak. I, his velocity's no, jumped I mean, a ton <laughs> since he was first drafted. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the biggest thing. And he's deceptive. He hides the ball well. I mean, you know, he's got mm-hmm. this sort of funky delivery, so... Um, you know, uh, it's funny. He was a nice get for them in the, that, that Brandon Drury trade, Drury trade, yeah. you know, yeah. the fact that, you know, the fastball went from being like a 89 and 93 mile per hour fastball to a guy that can hit 97, yeah. you know, he's got that slider, you know, in the low eighties where he misses some bats and he's got that, that decent changeup that sits like, you know, 84 to like 86. And like, that's, that's huge that he has those separations and separation in terms of velocity on his stuff. And, you know, the fastball, it's got some movement. It's got a little cut movement on it, too. So mm-hmm. it's a legit profile. I think it's what's so interesting about pitching prospects is even like the hyped up guys that we fall in love with because of one performance. There's guys like Tyler Widener who make adjustments when they're 22, 23 years old, add some velocity. And all of a sudden it's like they got better stuff than the other guy. They got better command. Oh, yeah. And some of these skills that had sort of pushed them along in their, you know, amateur careers and then early professional careers and sort of kept them hanging on is the stuff that separates them from the guy who had stuff at 18. Right. I mean, Widen is one of these yep. guys that I'm like, I could think of like 15 pitching prospects that I ranked higher than Widener like six months ago that I would drop for Widener in a second right now. Right. I mean, there's, there's so many yep. of them. No, you know, I mean like Jojo Romero, Jojo Romero. I dropped Jordan yeah. Romero in a heartbeat to add Tyler Widener. I mean, come on, right? 
It's funny. No, I think you're right on that. I think that uh, the things that set up for me with Widener and watching the delivery too is like, obviously you see that that tick up. It looks like, the funniest thing is it looks like, you know, you mentioned that the changeups now is, is becoming a decent pitch from what I, I understand as well too. But also like I've seen below average grades on his command and he's only like an 8% walk guy. So it seems like there's just a lot of, he's kind of like just bucking all the, all the scouting stuff I'm seeing on him. And obviously I haven't seen him in person. Maybe I think that probably the commands that low because he's a little bit shorter of a guy, a little bit stockier of a build. I think the delivery has some effort, but you know, regardless of all of that, he's only walking 8% of the time. And it seems like it's cut down a little bit too. So it's like, at what point do you just kind of toss aside the fact that maybe it is a little bit of a higher for delivery, maybe never projected to have plus command, but if that sits at two and a half to three walks per nine, like that's serviceable, especially if he ends up being like a nine K per nine guy, which seems like maybe there's some, inclination that he could be given these massive starts that he's he's dominated and it's not just a one-off thing too like like Corbin Burns was a guy I think I've mentioned so many times but just because he's interesting and his proximity is close but you know he had literally one start this year that was good at AAA and like everything else has been wonky and like we got Widener here he's obviously lower level but um but he's kind of doing the same thing like he's having a couple of these starts so it's just it's more of a you know you're starting to see a pattern, and there's obviously something here with Widener. The fastball slider's on. Maybe it's just the fastball and slider that's on, and that's working for him, and it's been successful. But he, he was throwing. Yeah, he not? was mostly. I would say he's about eighty percent. I watched the start the other night. He was about eighty percent um, on the fastball slider, but I mean, he was mixing in the changeup okay. and was ten to fifteen percent. You know, Good. I'd say like you know with a little margin for error, about five percent there. But yeah, I mean, he uses the pitch. It's just. The fastball slider, I mean, he kind of, I'd love to see the pitching and just sort of give me the, the tunnel Jeff on, on those two pitches <laughs> and it's available. I mean, maybe I can get pros, my boy at prospect gifs. He's been hooking me up lately. Yeah. Um, he, he hits me up and is like, who do you want me to Jeff up this week? And I'm like, Jeff up these guys. <laughs> and then I get the research and watch it. the games and then I, I use them in my article. So it's, it's a collaborative effort. I'm trying to work with everybody, but wider man i'm really interested to see how the fastball slider sort of matches up when like slow-mo right i mean now that you can see that right talking about all this new technology for my research like i love seeing that like i I just i only see it from like pitching ninja and like the major league level but because it it, it almost sort of proves that tunneling theory of like look at these two pitches and then like you know 10 feet before the the plate you know this this slider goes this way the cutter goes this way and they deviate and it's like oh my god can you imagine trying to like pick up the spin 10 feet before the plate on even a pitch that moves that much that dramatically you know even if it's 81 miles an hour that's still probably the faster the most fastballs you've ever seen in your life (laughs) (laughs) no it's it's insane it's really funny i think that like you're spot on like and and that literally proves the telling aspect especially when it's sequenced up well it's like yeah. I know it's probably a different perspective than the hitter itself, but like the fact that those balls are so close and like you see this all the time, like pitching ninja does it really well. I think I, I had one with Logan Gilbert actually when he got drafted. I saved one. I made one with him specifically on his fastball slider. And I know his slider's not that great, but even on that pitch, like that particular sequence of those two pitches, it was like the pitches are literally like ten feet probably from home plate, and then they completely split and they end up like two feet apart on home play. I, just, I love looking at that. It's aesthetically pleasing. It's, it's really cool. Um, maybe enough that's all, I'm going to jump to my... That's uh, all, yeah, oh. that's all I have on Widener. But you can go back and look Widener, at the start. Yeah. I think the last Jackson start's available. But I, I felt like he was hitting the spots in the glove. Like, I don't think that he... There was there was nothing where it was like, oh, man, he missed the spot oh, from the catcher yeah, there. Yeah, and gotcha. it's like, 
he just, you know, he got away with the one or, or his stuff breaks enough, you know, like that slider breaks enough that people just like miss on it. Like regardless of whether he hits a spot, like it seemed like he was relatively close to hitting his spots and, and you would figure, you know, it's even though he, he had 12 last, I mean, he's averaging like 12 per nine. I mean, like he's got a 33% strikeout rate or something like that. It's insane. So we're, I mean, we're sort of at the point with this guy where, you know, it's pretty legit at double a, if he's doing this against pretty high level competition and it wouldn't shock me if he pushes his way into Arizona, if they, if they need one more arm, because if you can miss bats like that, I mean, we saw Freddie Peralta was even successful in the major league levels for a start or like a Lucchese or somebody. And I think he's got, I don't think he's all that different than Lucchese actually with the two pitches and, um, you know, some decent velocity. Lucchese actually pitched for, uh, rehab innings the other night and was up to uh, 96 just in case anyone cares, but okay, go Go ahead. Who's your true, who's your true (laughs) number three? My uh, true number, my number two actually is, is Christian Walker. Another, another, I'm a jerk. Sticking with the diamond. I'm a jerk. I went, I went through three of mine and, and, and you've now had, uh, no, no, no worry. Oh, oh, sorry. Well, you did McKenna Jimenez Widener and I I did Kisner Widener. I, talk I, I mean, I talk like this entire podcast. So, <laughs> I'll, I'll, you know, I'll combo two up here. I'll do Christian Walker very quickly. Um, Christian Walker, anyone obviously might remember him if they've watched any Diamondbacks, Dodgers baseball. He had a home run off Clayton Kershaw um, about a month or so, a month and some days ago, um, which stood out because it's, it was a beautiful swing on a, on a pitch that was a little bit elevated from Kershaw. Obviously, in that kind of interim period where he probably is not the best version of Kershaw, so discount whatever you want. He still had a home run off Kershaw. But this is a kid with big power, big strikeouts. So, which goes back to a lot of the guys we were talking about prior, like Mike Rodolfo and um, Sully Matias and others. But uh, but Christian Walker, um, specifically, I'm going to bring him up because he's homered in four straight games heading into today. I can't jump over. I could jump over as I kick this back to Ralph in a bit. But I'll jump over and see if he homered tonight. But um, four straight home runs, four straight games of the home runs uh, in Reno. Um, he was 361 with four home runs, four doubles in his uh, month of June with Reno specifically. Ten strikeouts to three walks over that span, which highlights the issue again. He's got around 70 raw at 60 game. So I think that averages out to probably around like the 25 to 30 home run window, maybe in that window right around there in terms of actual major league production. And um, I, I like his setup a bit, actually. I think that it might be more of general, his ability to get the breaking balls off the plate, which is pretty much every big power hitter's hole, especially if they're a little more upright and they're a little bit more launch angle prone in terms of how they're elevating where their bat path is. This is a little bit north. It's, it's probably more majority pull side power than it. I would say it is kind of right center to center power, as you see with a lot of guys. But um, that doesn't mean he can't be productive. It just means I think that the, the ceiling probably is a little bit limited unless he does adjust, which is always a possibility. Um, he had a weird like pitch hitting pinch hitting stint with the major major league team where he was pinch hitting like almost every day and he struck out 50% of the time. Um, but the thing is, in Reno, he's only striking out 21% of the time. But probably he's going to average out if he gets to the major league level and actually gets some playing time around like the 25 to 30 window. I could see him being kind of like maybe a Matt Davidson kind of guy. Remember, maybe he strings together like a really, really good like 15-day stretch where he pops a bunch of home runs. Maybe the yep. upside isn't great, but again, Matt Davidson's been productive. So I kind of tossed Christian Walker into that window. I think he's one to keep an eye on, though. I always like kind of guys like this, and you know, maybe he does eventually fix something and, and produce a little bit more. Um, and the next one I'll jump to quickly is a guy I know you like a lot, Ralph. And I think we both like a lot. Um, you think you actually turn him on to me though. Um, Jesus Lazardo. So, uh, he's had a, a kind of a weird season in terms of just settling in, um, to double A Midland Rockhounds for the athletics. Um, his home run rate is kind of kicked up for the first time in his career, but, um, he, he, I think when you look at his ex-fip in the minor league level, in terms of just average, uh, 
hormone fly ball rate applied to the, to the balls he's given up. He's probably given up a little bit more than he should be, so to speak. So I think his XFIP's right around like that 3-1, 3-2, or his ERA is sitting right in that 3-8, 3-9 window. So obviously some positive regression coming here. But it's really good because in his last two starts, 10 innings, 6 hits, 1 earned, no walk, 16 strikeouts. Those are two 5-inning outings with each, inning, with each strikeouts apiece, which is fantastic with the no walk. So he seems to be settling in really, really nicely here at double-A. I really, really, really like seeing this because this is a tough jump for a lot of guys to make from high to double-A. And the fact that he's settled in really nicely, and he's a top prospect on a lot of guys' boards in terms of that kind of maybe that 40 to 50 window. Um, one of the top left-handed pitchers, one that has a little bit more proximity basis than a guy like Nancy Gore. But I think we all like Lazardo. I think we all probably maybe coin him as a um, one of the top two, top three, possibly the, the top left-handed pitchers in the minor leagues. And he is pitching really, really well in these last few starts with Midland. Really interested to see how they stretch him out, where his innings cap is, as they as he kind of is a couple years now removed from Tommy John and such. But this this tick up and this this jump in his success in, in Midland in the last two starts is, is really encouraging, I would say. Um, any thoughts on either on either Walker or Lazardo route? Yeah, I think Walker's the kind of guy that he's uh, you know either a quad A player or a potential like second division like DH type. You know, I think I think there's a role for him. The power has always been sort of intriguing and tantalizing, um, but you know there's certainly some question marks there, and he's he's bounced around to a few organizations over the last couple of years. And I think everyone knows how I feel about Jesus Lazardo. Uh, probably my favorite lefty arm in the minor leagues right now. And uh, yeah, it's nice to see him actually struggle. I got to be honest. I think, I think it's one of those things that he had Mm -hmm. been so good at the lower levels in such short sample sizes that he needed to settle into a level that challenged him. And it's good to see him up for the challenge and sort of making uh, some adjustments here. Do you want me to jump into my number four quickly? We can jump into your number four quickly and, and actually, I'll cut out my five. That way it's a, it's a four by four this week. I'll save uh, Louis Rengifo for uh, another time. But I wanted to sure. mention uh, Alex Kirilov, who I think might be having, I don't want to call it a breakout, but it kind of is a breakout just from the sense that he missed an entire season because of the Tommy John surgery. And we sort of forget that this guy was such a highly touted pick, drafted so highly, because of you know his limited ability with his upper body, added all this weight in the lower half, really nice, beautiful, strong left-handed swing. Um, I know that I had jiffed up some uh, video that that uh, Matt Thompson had actually gotten live at a game maybe at Kane County when Cedar Rapids was visiting earlier this year, um, and it was a lefty-on-lefty double that he that he hit, and you just see him just make beautiful contact, beautiful bat path uh, with this guy, and I think it's just you know there's such natural hitting ability. This is a guy that didn't go to high school so he could play baseball full time pretty much all day long and was homeschooled. So uh, this is his entire life. He's somebody that's always sort of worked at it, had to put the work in there. Another guy that's a high school bat, not all that dissimilar from Nick Prado, who was incredibly polished, beautiful hips in terms of the transition of his weight. And, uh, it just it it seems like he's already getting into that lower half and that thirty pounds he added sort of on the Bruce Gargatterall uh, workout plan where you add thirty pounds of uh, of lower body <laughs> muscle. I guess you just do nothing but squats when I uh, used to look at that. that when, so when you can't 
when you can't do curls, I think we covered it on the, on the twin show, but whatever it is, it's allowed Kirillov to just take an even further step forward. And, and maybe he always was this guy and we just don't know because we haven't seen him in the full season, a full season ball, but he is the statistically the best player in the Midwest league right now. We know how difficult it is to hit there. I always say it. He's hitting 328, 386, and he's slugging 602 with 13 homers. I believe that's in 55 games. So pretty impressive numbers there from Kirilov. And, uh, I think I said it today in my AMA, he is a guy that, uh, I'm comfortably rating, uh, within the top 50. Now, I think as a fantasy prospect, just because when you see a guy put up those sort of numbers with such a small amount of experience, uh, to draw from, and you sort of know all the intangibles and other factors and you watch the swing, you see how beautiful everything is and how well it comes together at the plate. It's hard to big bet against that. And that's a guy that I want to be aggressive in ranking. Uh, make sure that my readers are aggressive in adding and holding on to him and trying to acquire him via trade. 100% agree. I'm uh, heading the, the Midwest League All-Star game next week. So I'm going to get a look at him and Royce and Brewstar. So I'm pretty stoked about that. Beautiful. As long as Bruce Dar isn't on the DL that week, every other week hey. DL. It's like a <laughs> it's like a ten day DL. So <laughs> I don't know why they throw him in the All Star game, but let's let's bring it home with pitching prospect Jesus, and that's Forrest Whitley. He's your number four, yes. and I watch both starts, dude. And I got to tell you, I have to change my underpants after every time Forrest Whitley pitches. <laughs> I was sending you all those gifs from the first game, yeah. right? All those gifs that that prospect gifs put out after the first game. Oh my God. I'll let you take it away, but uh, yeah. Oh my God. Huh? Yeah. This has been uh, a very, very nice awakening, almost a reawakening. Cause I think we all pr- probably understood the upside. And then obviously he went down with the suspension and he comes back and now he's had two four inning outings. His first outing was 55 pitches. This one, he got up to 72. This was on the 13th. So that was a couple days ago. I believe it was a Wednesday. Um, my dates are probably wrong. So I have no idea, but he total between these two starts is eight innings, three hits, two walks, 11 strikeouts. Um, obviously, it seems like the raving of the pitch count a little bit, possibly probably gets into that 90-ish window in his next start. His two, Those two walks specifically came in his last start. I think his last start was four innings, two walks, and like six-ish Ks or something like that. So it's right in that window. He's been relatively consistent back-to-back now. He's in Corpus Christi, pitching very well. Obviously, this guy's huge, 6-7 frame. Um, his lower half, I know that me and Ralph often talk about this all the time, is his lower half is what stands out in terms of the, the build on it and the meat on it. We like butts. <laughs> we like butts, <laughs> essentially. But I actually think he can add a little bit more weight in his upper body. You look at it, the proportions of some of these other guys like Glass. Now, Glass is relatively chiseled and filled out through the shoulders and such, which it, this kind of goes back to the fact that Whitley's, I think, only, what is he, only 19 now? Or is he Hunter Green's age, 18? One or the other. Still really, really young. So in, mm-hmm. 20. He he's 20, actually. A little bit more. He's 20? Okay. So I, th- I think he's got a December right birthday. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. So he'll be 21 in like six-ish months. So, But, I, I mean, in terms of his build and what he can add going down the road, say he's 24 and he puts on another 15 pounds of it's all upper body, you know, I wouldn't be stunned to see that. I think that the biggest thing here is that he's a really big guy, and I often talk about really big guys having very hard times maintaining their consistency and their command. You look at guys like Tyler Glassdown, Alex Meyer. This goes to a, a variety of pitchers. And I always have a soft spot for these guys because I just generally think they have a really good extension and – because they extend well, the perceived velocity of the fastballs is up, and because of that, they're a little more effective, even if they're lower velocity. There's a lot of things that I like specifically about them, but again, the volatility in guys like this is huge, but for Forrest, it seems like everything's kind of consolidated into a very, very good pitcher with really good command at a, at a really young age, at a really big frame. It seems like it's at a lot of the stars. 
that begs the question, and I know Ralph's answer is yes to this. Mine, I, I, I for some reason, still just want to land on Kopech. I don't know why. But top pitching no. prospect in baseball, Ralph, <laughs> it's Whitley for you, isn't it, right? It's Whitley, man. I, I think just when you, when you see how it's the athleticism. When you see a guy at six foot seven and 240 pounds and it's a lean 200 strong, 240 pounds, and he mixes all those pitches so well, he commands everything so well. He hits all of his spots. I feel like his, his catcher never even like moves his glove and he has this wild break in these pitches that comes back in, um, downhill playing in the fastball and the mechanics, as you said, they just come together so well. I mean, just, yeah, I mean, it, it and he has so many different pitches. It's, it's, it's phenomenal. I mean, I, I, there are very few pitches that pitchers that I watch that I enjoy watching as much as I enjoy watching Forrest Whitley. And it's, it's remarkable that he's six foot seven and everything is so fluid with the delivery and he doesn't get off track. And, and I felt like, you know, there's a lot of issues with those guys losing their release points. It happened a ton with Tyler glass. Now he loses his release point even in good starts in the minor leagues and we start to walk guys. Whitley doesn't have that. And that's very rare with a six, seven pitcher with a downhill plane, all that stuff working for him. And that very arsenal uh, uh, of offerings that he commands and controls so well. So, I mean, we've seen it over the first four starts and he's been dominant. I mean, first uh, two, four inning starts, eight innings total. I misspoke there, but yes. it's late and I'm tired and, I can go post the podcast, so <laughs> there you no, go. No, you mentioned that the the pitch mix there. Yeah, he's he's fastball. He's relatively over the top fastball cutter. He mixes in a cutter a little bit. The strongest off speed is the curveball, and he also has a changeup, which I think is developed very very quickly. And it's probably yeah. one of the main factors is is kicking him up on a lot of lists is how good that pitch is. Then he also has a little bit of a harder slider as well. So a lot of break, a lot of bend. Um, he's pretty impressive, and uh, I'm really interested to see this over a little bit more extended period of time. And I, I wouldn't be stunned to see him up in the pen with the Astros later in this year. I think that they obviously are contending. and I mean, he's pumping gas. So I'd be really interested to see them. Him used almost in a Walker Buehler-esque kind of way where they bring him up. They're like, hey, just throw fastball, throw curveball, maybe mix and change a little bit, and go after it, pitch an inning or two, kick that view up two or three miles per hour. He'd be pumping 99-100. You know, he kicks it back down. Maybe he's a 96-97 average fastball guy at the major level as a starting pitcher like we saw with Buehler. Maybe the results mm-hmm. are similar to Buehler. I wouldn't be stunned at all in a very short period of time. So... Well, they, got McHugh, they got McHugh, absolutely. They got McHugh and they got Peacock, you know, built in, and they haven't had any starter injuries yet this year. So I think yeah, that which that's going to change. Surprising. That that's going to someone's going to miss a few starts, and it wouldn't shock me if later in the year, especially once his arm strength gets built back up and he ramps back up to be able to go. Because some of these starts, I mean, that first start he could have gone eight innings if he wanted to. I mean, it was just he was dealing, and yeah, yeah. Once they get to that point the Astros have no reason not to bring up their best players. It doesn't matter to them at this point. They got the extra year. Forrest Whitley is absolutely going to be up next year. I don't think Charlie Morton may be even playing baseball a year from now from some of the things he's been saying lately. It sounds like he could possibly retire at the end of the season. We forget he's 34, 35 years old. I mean, he just got good, he's but old. he's, he's pretty yeah. old. I mean, you know, and he's had a lot of injuries. So Whitley's going to be in that rotation next year. This is the real deal. It wouldn't shock me if there's a two injuries. They want to stretch out Keuchel, give him a little bit more rest, especially if they're up a few games and they're going to make the playoffs. But they do have two serious contenders in the Mariners right now and the Angels. They have two interesting teams that are on their tail. So it's not like they have an easy division to sort of walk over any longer. So it's going to be interesting to see how Whitley factors in. I think he can pitch 
40 innings in the major leagues this year, and it wouldn't shock me. Um, they could call him up tomorrow. If they really needed it, they had three starters and they had three guys blow out their arms. Like they could call up Whitley tomorrow. If his arm strength was where it needed to be and he could go a hundred pitches and it wouldn't shock me if he was a top 30 starter now. I mean, he's that good, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it, and, and he's more polished than Kopech. Maybe you could say Kopech's ceiling is higher, but I think right now he'd have a lower ERA than Kopech would. No, do you, I think do you disagree? I think that I, no, I don't disagree with that. I think that for me, this goes back to just my general philosophy around prospects is just like not not completely overreacting on a couple. And it's not even overreaction. I wouldn't say I would, that's probably a bad phrasing because he did this before. And it almost to me seemed like yeah. we just kind of we just kind of like with the 50 game suspension, we're just like, oh, this is disappointing. Maybe he won't come back as strong. He's come back as strong. But I had to I just, watch more for me. Them. It's just like I. I, I want now, and that's a good point too. Is is I didn't see I just, a start of AA last year, and I didn't see much A ball besides, uh, but but like now I can tune in and I can put it on the big screen on my TV because they just hook it up, and I can rewind it and I can even watch like pitches over yeah. and over again, you know, and I can watch like that at bat. Like he had one inning where he threw twelve pitches and he struck out the side. Like you know, like there's just stuff that I was seeing from him that I'm like. This is Brett Honeywell stuff with more like oomph. <laughs> yeah, because he's massive. I don't know. <laughs> he's your number four. I think no. I just spent about twenty minutes talking about him. I, I I'm in like enamored with Whitley right now. No, no. Anywhere I, I own him, really I'm like, I can't believe I fucking own this guy. <laughs> <laughs> I dropped the f bomb at the I'm, end of the podcast. No one will know. <laughs> no, 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 Ralph. Um, yeah, you're hitting um some uh games i believe and i'll be hitting some games so i'm sure we'll be doing this yeah. again in terms of just talking through next, what we're seeing guys but uh next yeah. weekend i think it's going to be the big uh cape cod league push maybe i'll sneak out to something and, and wear him on sunday we'll nice. see i'd love to talk about yeah that. but i'm going to try to make a cape cod league push but especially some of these weekday games where like i can kind of sneak out there and just like go catch a game you know yeah I love it. It's not too bad. So, yeah, I'm going to try to cover a ton of Cape League stuff, and I figure it will give me really interesting insights uh, for next year when we start to talk Absolutely. about some of these guys. Draft because yeah. They all got to go through the Cape League nowadays, right? And they all got to get the, the scouted with the wooden bat and see how they're hitting. So yep. it's going to be interesting. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to dig into some of the numbers tonight from the first few box scores from the opening uh, games on Wednesday and Thursday, and they have a few more games uh, this weekend. So they actually a couple double headers on Sunday, in, in fact. So I'm interested nice. to check that out and just follow and some, along with some of these players. And uh, I'm sure there'll be a couple guys that are going to be joining now that uh, the College World Series is winding down. We have uh, the beginning of the tournament tomorrow. Uh, when it's being released, mm-hmm. and uh, that gets to compete with the World Cup. So I don't know what you're watching, but I think you're probably going to be watching the World Cup I'll and switch it back and forth to uh, the uh, College I'll World Series. I'll be going to College World Series. I'm not a big soccer guy. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually won't be know, watching much World Cup until Monday when, when England plays. That's my that's my team. Ah, there you go. All right, well, we're good. We're good to go here. I think we finished it off. We we. Had me banter for a while here, so if you don't like the sound of my voice, I apologize. But uh, hopefully there was some uh, insight there. <laughs> the fart to end the podcast. Oh, man. The fart All to right. end the pod. Everybody enjoy another, the weekend. Watch World Cup another or week. College World Series. One thirty. I don't know. Do whatever you want. It's late. We gotta go to bed. <laughs>
privacy policy and terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting and rules for occurring automated text marketing messages. Message and data rates may apply. Reply stop, opt out. The pandemic has been hard on all our kids. New studies show more than one in three children who started school in the pandemic now need intensive reading help. That's right. Millions of kids in kindergarten through third grade in the United States cannot read at grade level. Here's the good news. Your child can be reading in just 30 days, guaranteed, with Hooked on Phonics. Even if your child has been struggling, Hooked on Phonics will teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. And right now, you can get started for just $1. Text the word GRADE to 323232 right now. Hooked on Phonics is highly effective and incredibly fun. And everything can be done right from home and in less than 20 minutes a day. For more than 30 years, Hooked on Phonics has been the proven learn-to-read program that kids love to use. Text GRADE to 323232 and teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. Text GRADE to 323232 right now and get started for just $1. Text GRADE to 323232 now. Text GRADE to 323232. 